You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We're continuing this morning to follow Jesus in Luke's gospel and his Galilean ministry. Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and we discover right before the scene of our reading this morning in Luke, Jesus on a boat heading to the other side of the sea. And while Jesus is on the boat, a storm comes on them, and Jesus, with the strength of his own voice, hushes the wind and the water. And it's another striking scene, and the disciples on the boat are dumbfounded by, what, by the whole thing. And they respond the way many folks respond to the mighty works of Jesus. They were afraid, and rightly so. And we can understand their fearful state. That, that scene ends with the disciples talking to one another in somewhat hushed tones. Who then is this that he commands even winds and waters, and they obey him? The question that the disciples raised about the identity of Jesus, who is this then, kind of hangs suspended in the air in Luke's gospel. And then in just a few verses, we'll see the disciples' question answered. But the person answering the question might come as a bit of a surprise, if not a shock. The demons who had taken possession of the demoniac, they answer the question. What do you have to do with me, the demons say. And then they identify him as Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. This is a wild scene. Jesus is doing all kinds of taboo things. He's taking a boat trip to the Gentile side of the lake. He's hanging out near the tombs. That's a very non-Jewish thing to do. And he's also near a herd of pigs. All of these activities render Jesus ritually impure, unfit for public worship according to the standards of the day. Yet Jesus plows right into these activities because he's showing that God's kingdom and its proclamation, the saving of lost souls, is more important than the maintaining of ritual purity. And in this small boat trip across the lake, it doesn't last very long. Jesus doesn't stay overnight. Luke the evangelist is showing us that the compassion and the power and the authority of Jesus Christ extends even over to the Gentiles. Already here in the ministry of Jesus, a ministry that's primarily toward Israel and Israel's lost sheep, Jesus shows his missional and his kingdom concern for the Gentiles, especially a Gentile man who was possessed by demons. This is a frightening scene. I imagine most of us have had the experience of being near someone in our own downtown streets or perhaps somewhere else who obviously was not in their right mind. It's disturbing and it's unsettling. And the way that the narrative presents this story, Jesus literally puts his sandals on the shore of the lake and he's confronted by this naked demoniac. I have to imagine that was quite a kerfuffle. 
Jesus had come all this way, it appears, just to encounter this Gentile man and the demons that had enslaved him. And that's how we should understand the possessed man. He was enslaved. The demons had taken possession of the man and estranged him from his own self. I mean, think of that. The man had become a stranger to himself. And the demons sought to destroy and to disturb the man. The demons were doing what demons do. Creating chaos and disorder and destruction. These are the things that the devil and the forces of darkness do best. Now, admittedly, they don't normally come in obvious ways like a naked man on the shores of a beach. But chaos and destruction, these are their strong suits. You'll recall back in Genesis chapter 1 that when God created the heavens and the earth, he brought order and cosmos to the chaos of a disordered universe. And when sin enters the scene again in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve in the garden, we see the effects of sin doing what sin does best. Breeding and growing and taking the order of God's good creation and bringing the cosmos back into chaos. And the evil one and his forces feed on these kinds of destructive activities. Anything that's truly good and truly pleasurable in this world comes from the hand of our God. But the forces of evil in this world are forces of chaos and destruction. They pander. They play off the goodness of God's created world, distorting it and depriving it and us from the goodness of God and his and his world. Many of you may recall either reading or having heard of C.S. Lewis's, I, I, to me it's one of the, the, the favorite books of mine that he's written, the, the Screwtape Letters. And you have Uncle Screwtape, who is a demon, I guess, of some repute. Um, a mature demon, if an oxymoron like that works. Um, is mentoring his nephew, a young demon by the name of Wormwood. And Wormwood has a new project that's been given to him. A man newly come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Uncle Screwtape is providing his nephew with advice on how best to move that man back from belief into unbelief. How to bring the world of his faith into chaos and destruction. And one of Uncle Screwtape's greatest weapons is the distortion of human pleasure in the created world. He says this, Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, says Screwtape, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. When the gifts of God become the chief end of our human existence and we swap the goods of creation for the creator himself, it's like we're walking on the beach with no clothes on, with our sense of self, just, just like the demoniac. And here's this man, this demon-possessed man, who's living among the tombs. He's obviously involved in some kind of self-mutilation because the people of the village um, try to bind him in chains, but he, he break free. The man was enslaved. He was, in fact, the walking dead. And this is the drama of the scene. It's a showdown between the forces of evil, chaos, and enslavement and the forces of liberation and the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's no contest. 
The demons know it from the very beginning. There's no chess match here, no manipulative maneuvering on the demons' parts. There's no hint of a cosmic battle where Jesus has to exert himself. And the words of our sermon hymn that we just sang, one little word shall fell him. The demons are frightened, and they know that they're under the authority of Jesus' word. Whatever he says, we're going to have to do. And I love that about our scene that we heard this morning. These demons identify Jesus as Jesus without ever having been introduced to him. They know who he is. I think the unstated feature of the text is that the whole invisible world and its forces of darkness appear to be in a flurry of concern about this Jesus of Nazareth. They know of him. They know of his mission. They knew when the kingdom of God came in its fullness that their time was over. I think that's why the demons in our text are so concerned not to be thrown into the abyss. I think we can rightly understand the demon's request about the abyss in this way. Please, Jesus, tell us that now is not the time for our eternal binding. We know, Jesus, that it's coming. We know our days are numbered. Tell us that now is not the time. And when Jesus grants them a residence in the pigs, in effect, he is saying, no, now is not the time. You'll remember how the book of Revelation ends when it speaks of all of death and Hades being thrown into the lake of fire forever. But now, Jesus says, is not that moment. But they know that it's coming, and it paralyzes these demons with fear. And they also know that Jesus has the authority to make it happen. Listen to how they identify Jesus. What do you have to do with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Jesus of Nazareth, this fellow from the other side of the lake, is the Son of the Most High God, the Lord over all creation, visible and invisible. And the demons are cowering in fear before him. We understand in our Christian faith that sin's reach is cosmic, it's brought everything into ruin, it distorts. It ruins. It's cancerous. And Jesus came into the world to defeat it, to stomp his foot on the head of the serpent. And this wild scene on the Sea of Galilee reveals to us our Christ as the great liberator of those who are fast bound in chains and nature's night. We're just like the demoniac, you and me, unable to liberate ourselves at times strangers to our own selves. We're prone to distortion. We're prone to chaos. We're prone to take God's good gifts in this world and twist them into some kind of God. See that there? That's my sense of self. There's my sense of worth. There's my ultimate pleasure and good in this world. And all the while, the chains are are rattling at our feet. John Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be, I think paints the portrait so well. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And the words of that beloved hymn, 
certainly one of my favorites, are not just words for non-Christians, for those out there who have yet to believe. These words retain their force for Christians too as a permanent feature of our lived lives before God and before each other. We know the imprisoning effects of sin, just like the demoniac. And our only hope in life and death is the quickening or life-giving ray from the gracious face of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I can put a little plug in here, I think this is why it's so important for us to come to church. To put ourselves in the place where Jesus shines on us the light of his word and gives to us the gifts of his saving grace. There is so much more in this narrative about the demoniac. But I have to look with you this morning at how the scene ends. It is fantastic. Word is spreading throughout the Gentile countryside about what Jesus had done. The townspeople, remember these are Gentiles, they, they rush to the scene to find the demoniac in his right mind, clothed, and sitting at the feet of Jesus. That, by the way, is the posture of the redeemed. That's the posture of the truly liberated in Jesus. They sit at his feet. They listen to his voice. They, they strain to hear his word. And they're worshiping their Lord and their Savior. The man is completely transformed and he begs Jesus, let me go with you. Let me become one of your disciples. And this is the surprise. Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. Not as a rebuff to his request, but as a redirection of his mission. Jesus tells the demoniac to remain on this side of the lake among the Gentiles and tell them the mighty things that God has done for you. And notice carefully how the text ends. The man went throughout the region proclaiming what Jesus had done for him. Tell them what God had done for you. And he goes about the whole countryside telling them what Jesus had done for him. For those of you who have spent time in Luke and in uh, Luke's other uh, book in the Bible, Acts, they were both written by Luke. You'll know how important God's missionary activity in the world is to Luke the evangelist. That's why he's called the evangelist. The message of the gospel, think Acts chapter 1 verse 8, spreads from Jerusalem like concentric circles out to the whole known world. And I've never noticed this before until this week. Remarkable. But here in Luke 8, with Luke's deep concern for God's missionary activity in the world, we find the first missionary of Jesus Christ. And it's the converted demoniac who travels throughout the Gentile region telling people what Jesus had done for him. No formal seminary training. Just goes out and tells people what Jesus had done for him. It's fantastic. And we're all called to this kind of missional existence in the world. We gather here at church on a Sunday morning to scatter throughout our city and our world. And what's the content of our missionary message? What's the substance of our proclamation? The same thing as the demoniac. I was bound. I was bound in fetters by the power and the force of sin. But Jesus has made me free. Amen. 
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.